Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do so. Follow us on all the social media. On Facebook, we are at Zerite Network. No, that's Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter, we are at Zerite Network. No, that's wrong. <laughs> Goodness gracious, what is going on in my head? On Facebook, we are the Zira Network on Facebook. On Twitter, the show handle is at Zira Radio. My personal handle is at Lorenzo T. Neal. <laughs> and on Facebook, I am at Dr. Lorenzo Neal. So glad that you were able to join us. I'm excited about this show. I'm excited about all this happening. We're in the month of March already. Can you believe that? Time is filled with swift transition. I tell you, it's moving so fast. And yes, we are in a crazy situation with the um, Russian invasion. I don't even know if to call it an invasion, but well, I guess it is an invasion of Ukraine. Uh, President Biden made his State of the Union address, and I was kind of like, okay, yeah. sounded very not statesman, but political. But eh, that, that's neither here nor there. There's a lot going on. And um, I hope that you're staying well. Uh, I hope that you're excited about <laughs> what's happening in your life. This is those of you who are Christians and you observe the season of Lent. We are in the season of Lent. And, you know, whatever you are abstaining from for this these 40 days, I pray that you can make it through the entire 40 days. It's been it's been tough for some people. <laughs> But anyway, if you're committing yourself to this time of consecration, repentance, and prayer, uh, I do pray that you do so. And that after you come out of this, this season of Lent, that you come out renewed, refreshed, and empowered to serve this present age. And not just take up back what you put down for 40 days. So I do hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful Lenten season as we prepare to observe Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Anyway, I'm excited about the show we have coming up. Um, I, my guest on this show is uh, Mandisa Thomas, and you're going to hear from her, our interview with her uh, later on in the show. But there's a lot going on. I was reading a lot of the headlines, and unfortunately, I can't talk about all the stuff that I really want to talk about. So I'm not. Usually I can have a monologue that lasts about 12 to 15 minutes, but I'm not going to do that because I want the show to focus on the conversation between myself and uh, Ms. Thomas. I think it's a wonderful conversation. I think it's a needed conversation. And since I've been on this thing about Christian deconstruction of black faith and black religious experience, I thought this would be a wonderful contribution even though we ain't Black History Month, it's still, I think, it's a worthy dialogue that we need to have. So, tune up, listen up, and enjoy uh, when we have this great conversation. So, I'll be right back after this. The last two years have been trying for all of us 
and many, including myself, have sought out help from the wonderful therapists at BetterHelp. With thousands of professional therapists available, you can get quality and affordable counseling from the luxury of your home on your computer, mobile device, or tablet from someone near you. Help right at your fingertips with BetterHelp.com. Dr. Lorenzo O'Neill, and I like to speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry, blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry. I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. Welcome back to Zira Today. I am honored to have with me a very special guest and a dear friend in the person of Miss Mandisa Thomas. And to give you a little bit about Mandisa, she's so well known. She got her own Wikipedia. <laughs> she has her own Wikipedia. And so I'm like, I don't need to search her, but I did. So she's the founding person, founder of the Black Nonbelievers uh, Incorporated. They have several chapters across this this country. Uh, she's well known for her engagement and activism in the black community through the lens of non-believers. And not only does she engage that, but she's got a plethora of awards. She's been on a plethora of outlets um, with this particular platform of liberation, if I can say that, through Non-belief. And now I know some of y'all probably went, well, this preacher got this person on his show. This is contrary to what he's supposed to be doing. No, is that the first time? We've had the conversation nine years ago. She's been on my show nine years ago. I was fortunate and honored to be able to speak at their fifth anniversary. Uh, and I tell you, it was a wonderful, enlightening event. And I made some um, great friends from it. And um, I've been honored to follow her progress over the years that we've been uh Associated, acquainted, or whatever you want to call it, but I am so grateful to have on the show Miss Mandisa Thomas. Hey, Lorenzo, thank you once again for having me. Like you said, it has been a long time, and I am especially appreciative of how our friendship and connection has grown over the years. Um, it has truly helped me in my personal growth. Um, you have been helpful to me, and 
I'm really glad that we were able to, you know, really, really grow from our initial meeting and our initial um, discussions. This is I am, <laughs> I'm glad too. And the reason I wanted to have you on, I've been, um, you're not aware, aware, there's been a lot of famous black Christians who have taken this pathway of what is being known as deconstructing their faith or leaving the Christian faith altogether. It's nothing mm -hmm. new. It's just that it's becoming more prominent. And I got some some stats and stuff we'll talk about later. But I want to bring you into this conversation because you deal directly with those persons who uh, are experiencing that. So before we get further down the line, tell my listeners uh, about your organization, how it came about, and what's the purpose of it. You know, I know a lot of people think it's anti-Christian. So Absolutely. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'm going to try to sum this up in a few minutes <laughs> because I know we only have a limited amount of time. So my organization is called Black Nonbelievers. We are headquartered in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and we are a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to the support of Blacks, uh, not exclusively, but specifically, who identify as atheist, humanist, agnostic, uh, non-religious, and also we support those who are leaving religion in favor of leaving and who also have who also have questions and would like some answers and support without a sense of judgment. So um, we are a very and we are a, a, a humanistic organization that advocates for state church separation. Um, we are very, very uh, passionate about human rights for everyone. But we really want to we are also about advocating for and amplifying the voices of the black non-religious in the community, uh, because that has been an area of, um, of issue within our communities, especially with so many people being religious. So we really are advocating for the non-religious voice uh, and non-religious people to have more of a voice in our communities, as well as the community aspect and providing that support. And you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the fact that um, you're providing a voice and and like me as a pastor, it's probably my job to provide the voice also for those persons who believe it. But what I'm coming to discover is there's a great sense of distrust in the organized black church. And as a pastor, I know I probably contributed that to some degree, not as large as some others. But we're seeing, uh, especially since the, you know, the outbreak of the virus that shall not be named and the conditions that have restrained us over these last two years, um, a lot of people are just choosing to, well, I'm done with it. I no longer, I no longer need an excuse not to go to church. Right, and I think what's happening here is not necessarily that there is just simply mistrust in the church, um, which to some degree is is true. But I think some of the responses that parishioners are getting from their pastors when they have questions, some are outright rebuffed, some are patronized and gaslit. They're actually mistreated as human beings, as human beings are that are incapable of forming their own thoughts. And ultimately, there is this sense that it's just supposed to lead back to the church or you're supposed to have faith. But when you see things crumbling around you, right, when you see people, you know, succumbing to the virus that shall be not be named and um, they're looking for an answer and all they're being told is to just have faith. And they also may see their their leaders doing one thing in public but then in private they're doing something else and this is something that has happened time and time again within religious communities so there are people who are you know they're saying enough is enough and with this age of technology and information and people wanting to do things in a new way and especially as evidence begins to show itself 
that things are changing, people are changing with it. And they're becoming more comfortable with the notion of, I don't need to attend or be a part of this institution where I am feeling stifled, where I am feeling like I have to conform simply for the sake of. And that's, uh, you know, that is a, a really big thing right now. Um, and, and it always has been, like you said, but I think now there are more people who are comfortable with questioning, especially the fundamental aspect of the church and their or their, their religious institutions and saying, you know what, um, I, I don't have to deal with this anymore. Enough is enough. Yeah. Um, your, I guess the model for your organization is walk by sight and not by faith. Mm-hmm. And, which is exact opposite of what I preach on Sundays. <laughs> Let me be clear, but um, you—I know it's a broad, it's a broad group. Is you know most people when they think about non-believers, they think atheists, and I, mm-hmm. I, I know you identify as an atheist. Mm-hmm. But does that include what is the uh, how broad is this this context of non-believers? Can you so, yeah. expound on that? Absolutely. So as I said previously, we are an organization that are that are made up of atheists, um, agnostics who are they're slightly different um, humanists, um, people who are not just simply atheists. But um, we have there is a um, you know, there is a creed, if you will, you know, about how to live our lives and also to do things for the sake of doing good. Um, So the secular secular identities do have a range. And I just mentioned some of them. Um, but we also, um, you know, we also welcome those who, again, who we do engage those who are, again, questioning and they may be, they, they're thinking of leaving. Um, we certainly realize that there are some people who are questioning, but they still want to belong to their religious communities. We completely understand that. Um, but for those who are not, not just necessarily done with the church, they've done critical examinations and um, put in some educational and, and, and went and, and verified and, and learned more on their own so that they are firmly non-believers. Um, this is a space where we can you know convene, strategize, socialize, and what have you. So it does definitely go beyond the atheist label because atheists, athe- you know, the definition of atheism is simply that you don't believe in a God. I, tr- I expound that to God's spirits and supernatural beings. Um, but that's, the, that's, the only, that's one of my only identifiers. That's one of the only things that describes me. And I think it's important that, you know, the reason why we chose non-believers or non-believers was chosen was that we we um, we don't subscribe to anything that doesn't have an evidence or verifiable premise that goes beyond religion. You know, we we um, encourage that for other and more, you know, and, and other other things and other walks of life. So it simply it goes simply beyond religion. I think some, for some people, religion is where they think we stop and it doesn't. It goes it goes much further than that. And speaking of religion, you talked about those persons who are succumbing or have succumbed to the virus that shall not be named, shouldn't even have been mentioned. Um, how does your group support those persons wrestling with like grief? And you know, being a pastor, we see the church as a as a as a means of coping. And for a long time, this it was the only coping mechanism some people had to deal with grief and stress, depression, and all that stuff. And I'm seeing. And many others are saying, and there was just a recently an article where black folks are like, I go to the pastor and learn that the pastor can't help me when it comes to mental health issues, when it comes to grieving and stuff like that. How does your group approach that for, you know, because if you're saying, you know, uh, the last statement you're saying uh, of the breadth of those individuals, how they mm-hmm. identify, how do you approach that? How do you, what kind of coping skills, what kind of things 
that you give to those persons uh, to help them in that moment. In those well, first, and, first and foremost, we ask if there's anything they need, whether it be financial, whether it is something that as a res- by way of a resource, we want to know if there is something that we can do to assist. And if we can, then we'll do it. Secondly, um, we are, as we are uh, an organization that puts evidence and, um, you know, logic, critical thinking first. Um, and there are some, you know, there are some vaccine deniers, you know, but most of us have followed what the, what the health organizations or, you know, and um, the health agencies have, you know, in, uh, advised. We've, we've, um, we've followed that. <clears throat> Not just simply for the sake of following it, but, be, but because we are uh, we have an understanding of how, you know, keeping ourselves safe works. And we're seeing now that there are other religious organizations that are doing the same. But that has always been first and foremost, meaning that we are going to um, there, especially with the people on the front lines, whatever we are going to do to keep each other safe, we are going to, you know, do some research, listen to the subject matter experts and then, um, and then uh, comply accordingly. And I know some people, when they hear follow and comply, they're thinking, oh, well, we're just doing it blindly, and we're not. The thing is that we want to have as much information as possible to arm ourselves and the people in our communities to keep each other safe. And, but when something like that happens and people need assistance, one of the first things that we do is we find out how we can help. And if it is beyond the scope of our capabilities, then we try to, then we look through our network to see how we can help this person. And we usually don't stop until we do. Okay. A follow-up question with that. And I got to tell you, the biggest thing that I have, the biggest respect I have for your organization is that you're not church bashers. Right. You don't bash, you don't bash the church, you don't bash us preachers because people leave and join your organization and you say, hi, see, we better right. than y'all, kind of thing. Well, for some we do, you know, some some deservedly, right? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> right. right. But you know, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I was very careful about when developing the organization and the mission was that the primary purpose was to help support those who were overcoming religion and who needed a community. It's impossible to build a good community on trauma bonding or simply mm-hmm. negativity. Because in order for people to heal, they need to be able to examine what their issues with the church were and the God concept were. And also, you know, to become better human beings or more, you know, whole human beings, you know, as as it will. And it's impossible to do that if we're just focusing on what we don't like about the church. There's so much as atheists, humanists and nonbelievers that we have done and can do that can show those who are leaving religion, how to have more meaningful lives once they've left, but also can show that can also show the religious community that we are not as bad as they were indoctrinated to think or believe. And so it helps all of us. It should be a win-win, right? Because no, we're not bashing, but for some people, our very existence is an affront, but you know, that, that, that is up to those individuals to get a better, you know, to get better information and a better education about us. Sure, we have many critiques on religion, but it is not simply just to bash. Well, I have plenty of critiques on religion, too. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, you're familiar with the Great Resignation, people leaving jobs and, you know, feeling like that. But I don't know if you're aware that that has rolled over into the religious faith communities 
and um, a lot of pastors, black and white, have been leaving the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, some just walking away, um, others walking away from the faith entirely. Mm-hmm. What would you, if you encounter uh, a a preacher, uh, a former preacher who engages you, um, how would you engage them when they, they come to you and say, look, I don't want to be a part of your organization. I just want to understand what I'm experiencing because I don't even know why I quit other than church right. folk got on my nerves. Right. So uh, how would you encounter them? How would you engage them? And what would you do? So here's those, the thing. Three separate questions. Right. Yeah. So first, I would say that it is that is entirely okay. What they're feeling is you no. Know, and and any in any people who are in any leadership capacity, and I'm sure you can attest to this, it becomes it's stressful. You know, de- dealing with people and having to have an inside look into their lives much of the time can be very, very stressful. There are a lot of unrealistic expectations that are put on us. And I'm sure with pastors, that is no different. So if there is one that's coming to me, you know, who that is unsure and that is at a place of vulnerability, I would assure them that what they're feeling is okay. First, they need to know that. They also need to know that they're not the only ones who have been through this and that there is life after ministry. There is life, you know, there is a life that they can create for themselves if they haven't already. Because I know not everyone is a mega pastor. There are there are church leaders who are working in addition to their ministry. So they're everyday people just like us. And so it's important for them to understand that there is support. What I have seen over the years, though, are former pastors who leave religion and try to create a new type of ministry because they are used to the prestige that being a pastor has given them. And so now they want to try to evangelize on the other side. And that isn't always the most productive way to go because ultimately you're still, you're still married, if you will. You're still so entangled, if you will, with your former institution. And that is internal work that has to be done. There are some pastors that may need to go to therapy to overcome this, hmm. that may need the community support in some way. And that they shouldn't just simply, and I also would say that they shouldn't just simply abandon their parishioners because they still may be looking to them for support. There, that is a time for them to reflect and take better care of themselves. But do know that if they, if they really care about the people that who were in their, their, their churches or their communities, you don't just want to simply abandon them. Just as they wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want them to abandon you. So that is the human piece there. They want to be very, very careful with that. I would never encourage, like for example, I would never just encourage you to just leave your church and just leave them hanging. You know, that would be unfair to you and them. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I would suggest for many people in ministry or in leadership who are looking, and, and it's okay to feel that frustration and anger, but how they channel it does make a difference. I agree with you. And uh, you'd be surprised how many probably are wrestling with that. They can't come to me. Um, mm-hmm. And they they don't want to go if they have bishops or anything. They don't want to go with it. And they just some just walk away. Mm-hmm. Now I've been I've been in ministry thirty years. Actually, this year is my official thirtieth anniversary. Congratulations! Yeah, I don't know how I've done it this year. Well, you know, I started as a kid, so mm-hmm. um, and you know, I, I've seen a lot of kids who start off preaching. You know, by twelve, I mean, I'm twelve when I start. Sixteen by the time I'm leading a church, and, <laughs> and uh, here I am thirty years later still doing the same thing, but I've known a lot of who have just kind of just left it all together, just walked away. And I, I'm like, yeah. Well, I, can imagine that there's a, yeah I can imagine that there is a lot of pressure 
that oh, yeah, there are a lot of expectations and you know there and for any human being especially for those who are young if you get into ministry young it doesn't allow you to live your life it doesn't allow you to go through this well there's there really is no such thing as normal right <laughs> especially many of our nope. communities however to place the burden of responsibility on people who are still developing is truly unfair and so i can understand that sense of wanting to rebel and just leave it all together that's too much expectation for 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 people um, there are some people who might be able to handle it, but even then, they should be allowed in many ways to live their lives. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, t- I try to tell some of my students, it's okay to be yourself. Uh, I was raised by old, old preachers. <laughs> and so 16, 17, I'm acting and dressing like an old, old preacher. <laughs> right, right, you know, yeah. <laughs> let, let me shift this uh, conversation from uh, from talking about us preachers to individuals. Uh, recently report... Um, just last month said that uh, listed that blacks are leaving religious faith communities faster than any other population. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, in 2008, it was, there was only about 19, a little over 19% of blacks collectively who identified as nuns. And that has jumped to about 35% in 2021, 2022. Mm-hmm. Is there a moral crisis that the church, we pastors are not addressing that is contributing to that. That's the first part of the question. The second part of it, is there a moral central, a moral center once they, you know, what, what would be their moral center once they leave? Uh, am I making any right. sense? I'm, I'm trying to- You are, I understand the question that you're asking, right? So, so of course, answer both of those. right. So I am not an authority on morality and I wouldn't want to be, right? But I think where a lot of people are seeing discontent is um, what they're, what they see, what they're, what there's, what their pe- preachers or leaders are trying to say is moral. That is in direct conflict. What's going on with what's going on in the real world? Like for example, you know, you have someone who is suffering from, let's say, another illness, and we can we can certainly bring this into the medical aid and dying um, conversation, where people want to end their lives so that they are not prolonging their suffering and the suffering of their family members. Is it moral, you know, is it ethical to let someone live out their last days in pain, knowing that there is nothing that can be done about it, simply because you think it's a sin for people to end their lives or want to end their lives? Hmm. Is it moral to let someone just, um, you know, so where does that come in? And these are questions that in our communities we don't address enough. End of life preparation, the wishes of our family members. Also, what it means to handle these issues as a family. And so I think morality is subjective. It's so broad. And so many people think of it as just like a black and white thing. And it isn't. So if there is some, you know, there are some things that people have to do that in the eyes of some would be considered just absolute evil. Or, but for some, it might be a necessity. So, you know, I mean, of course, we could be, you know, we could talk about what that is all day. And I don't like to just theorize, you know, all the time. What I like to do is kind of see where people are, why they had to do the things that they do, and then come to a reasonable conclusion as to what I think. And usually what I consider moral is what is in the best interest of a community or others. So it's not just simply benefiting one person. And as long as, if, and if it is benefiting one person, no one else is being harmed. That is another thing. Like, are you causing harm by what you're doing? 
If someone mm. wants to end their own life to end their suffering and not prolong the suffering of others, what is the harm in that? But there is, I think there is harm when there is a when there are people involved or parties involved who would sit there and allow someone to suffer in such a manner and then say, well, it's God's will. That I have a problem with. So now we're, you know, and, and people are, I think they're landing in this space of, well, this is what's happening in real life. But yet these teachings are, you know, they're, they're, they aren't coinciding with that. And so there is, I, was, I would think there is a crisis of faith there. And it's understandable. You, you, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You, you touched along the lives of one of my favorite Christian existentialist philosophers, the person of Dr. Paul Tillich in, uh, okay. in his thought process when it comes to that morality and faith is he defines faith as that which is of ultimate concern. Hmm. And and when you look at it from that perspective and from what you're saying, particularly when it comes to end of life issues and, you know, wrestling with this new uh, new reality of existing with this thing that won't be named again. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, we are, we're existing this. What The question is, what is our ultimate concern? For me as a pastor, my ultimate concern is ensuring that those persons who are part of my care have that sense of, of comfort and closure, mm -hmm. even if, the, you know, even if it seems like death is imminent, well, they got that sense of comfort and closure. But I don't want them to just be, oh, I'm going on the great by and by over yonder. Right. Glory right. I, I mean, I want to give them that sense of hope, but I just don't want them to leave there, you know, stay there. I want them to still kind of realize, hey, yeah, you might be going tomorrow, but enjoy life today. How can you? Yeah, do that? absolutely. Right. And, and I don't believe I don't believe the scriptures prohibit prohibit that. Um, but I know people can find a scripture to justify anything right now. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And that is one of the fundamental issues that we as atheists and, and with our organization have, and especially seeing the people who come out of that and they are still dealing with trauma, frustration and pain from it. So we certainly understand, you know, we, we know firsthand what that is like for many people who leave. Yeah. I got you. All right. So we've come to the end of this wonderful interview. There's so much more I think we could have covered, but we just Absolutely. don't have the time to do it. And I appreciate you again for accepting the invitation all these years later to come back. Yes. <laughs> and I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for the work that you do, even though I know there's a lot of people who say well, it's contrary to what you do, Dr. Neil. Yeah, it is. But, you know, <laughs> sometimes contrary is balance, you know. Right. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that we agree on that you know, that people may not realize. And I think this is this is a part of what the communities need to understand. Yeah, I want I want our black community collectively, as diverse as we are, mm -hmm. to still have that sense of liberation and empowerment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I believe uh, looking across the spectrum of our existence is the only way we'll do that. Because we still waiting on some savior, messiah, black or white, it ain't gonna happen in time soon. Right. Absolutely. So I really appreciate it. Before we go off, um, tell people how they can connect with you, um, how they can, um, if they have any questions, how they can follow up with you. And if you have any articles or anything or a book, you might want to share. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, Lorenzo, Lorenzo uh, that, that is a work in progress right now. We can certainly uh, talk about that when we uh, when that happens. But um, yes, for those who are, I am all over social media, you can find me on Instagram at Mandisa0904, um, Twitter at Mandisa0904. Um, and you can also reach me, you can um, look, uh, you know, find Black nonbelievers all over 
social media and the internet. Our website is blacknonbelievers.org. We are on Instagram at bnonbelieversinc, uh, Twitter at bnonbelievers, the B and the N are capitalized. And we're also on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, uh, Black Nonbelievers Inc. So uh, please check it out if you are interested. Thanks so much. And everybody watching again, this is not me endorsing or anything like this. I just want to simply have a conversation. Um, those persons who may be questioning, wrestling with the decision about leaving your faith, whatever. I just wanted to make sure that you, as you are going through this, you have some way of understanding what you're experiencing. And if you come to the conclusion, whatever you come to, that uh, there are spaces available for you. And yes. that's, that's, that's all, you know. Not endorsed. But anyway, thank you so much. Listen, those you watch on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Hit the bell for notifications. I need subs. Did I did a good plug for that? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much. Appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you again next time. All right. Thank you, Lorenzo. Bye-bye. for listening and tune in for another great show.